0: Everybody there is so excited and so happy to be there that it's contagious. You can't be miserable in that race. So, well, I don't know. Maybe I will be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Knock maybe on wood. That. But it, <laughs> it seems like the kind of race where like the energy, the energy is really contagious. So I'm just excited to be able to take that in. And the run, it's just there's spectators everywhere. And there is a one long portion along a canal that's a bit quieter, which I think is actually probably welcome by that point because you've had people cheering, cheering around forever. So it's I think it's a good mix.
1: That was pro triathlete and co-founder of Win Republic and Mallow Republic, Beth McKenzie, and this is her story on the Pace Racing podcast. Alright, what's up? What's happening everyone? Welcome back and welcome to all the first time listeners out there. My name is Stephen Langenhausen and I am the host of the Pacer Racing Podcast. Now before we dive into today's episode and intro of the amazing Beth McKenzie, I just wanted to highlight a quick note to everyone who took the time to leave us a kind review on Apple Podcasts that actually meant the world to me and it goes a long way helping me out. So, uh, you know, just to be frank with everyone, reviews dictate on how well your podcast gets seen and heard. So for each of you who took the time to leave a 20 second, you know, quick five star written review, I really appreciate that. And if you have any, and you do want to do so, then honestly, it means everything to me. So just please reach out if you do so I can leave you a personal thank you because, of course, you're taking the time to do that. And at the end of the day, I love getting connected with listeners as if you guys weren't lending me your ear, then I just wouldn't be doing these interviews today. So a quick thank you on that, guys. And now what you're all here for, joining us today is Beth McKenzie, Ironman and 70.3 champion, the chief creator of Wind Republic and Mallow Republic triathlon and athletic apparel lines mother of two, and wife of pro triathlete Luke McKenzie, and she has just announced that she'll be doing her final pro triathlon race this summer at Challenge Roth. With a legendary lineup expected to be here at Challenge Roth this summer, Beth has been training harder now more than ever to make her last race an epic one, and I'm excited to have her here to talk about it. Now this will be her first time racing Challenge Roth, but this isn't her first time at the event. Because back in 2014, she watched her husband, Luke, compete in the pro field on the sidelines with her six-week-old daughter. And if any of you watched it, We Are Triathletes movie on Challenge Roth, then you'll recognize Luke McKenzie as one of the athletes they highlighted in that movie and followed him along his journey to Roth. Beth has joined us today as we delve into her thoughts and anticipation on what could be one of the most memorable races of her career. Some other themes we explore include her incredible story behind her triathlon and athletic wear apparel brands. Uh, We talk about training throughout pregnancy, and we talk about getting into triathlon without a swimming background as she did in her late 20s. And we also talk about some solid training advice and motivation that you can use for your next race. And of course, we talk lots about Challenge Roth. So it's definitely an awesome podcast episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. And now let's get into it. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to quickly thank our sponsors for these episodes, which are Quintana Roo Tri and 51 Speed Shop. So if you're following me on social media right now, you would have seen me showcasing my beloved Quintana Roo PR5 Tri Bike that's recently been coupled with the 51 Speed Shop Carbon Aerobar Extensions. So JP from Brown Sports has helped me immensely with putting this bike together to be the most aerodynamic and comfortable bike as possible. Now, we've done some virtual wind tunnel testing, we've done some multiple extension type testing, and we've done just different component testing, and I'm thrilled with the overall outcome. With, of course, Challenge Roth on the horizon, I wanted to know that I wasn't in over my head first off, and ultimately, I was well-equipped for the challenge that faces me here on July 5th. Now, I chose the PR5 because it has so many little neat perks that stood out, like the Shift Plus technology, which basically refers to the design of their down tubes. So, the down tube deflects as much air as possible from the drivetrain side, Over to the non-drivetrain side where the rear stay is designed to be actually quite larger. So this gives the air a smooth path to follow uh, rather than creating turbulence on the drivetrain side. So that helps with aerodynamics huge. And you know another reason I love them is their custom aero storage container in the rear. uh, That you keep your spare target in and it has a built-in light for visibility. And another neat thing it also yields a 30T carbon fiber frame set. And also a six position seat post. And the bike's just overall design is so super user-friendly and fitter-friendly comparable to some of the other bike manufacturers that I've seen out there. Now when you couple a bike like this with 51 Speed Shop cups and aero bar extensions then you really can't go wrong and as you all probably know if you're not staying in aero bars for the entire length of the bike course then all those watt saving changes you make on your bike ultimately they just become redundant right. So the 51 Speed Shop cups offer a ton of different mounting options and angles so you can truly find your comfort and they also have a few options of arrow bar extensions. Now I went with the ultimate carbon extensions with a 30 degree angle, which also have a 15 millimeter offset at the tips so that you can actually allow your hands to be as close together as possible while still leaving that room for your hydration system and bike computer to be mounted in between the handlebars. Now this has been a game changer for me and I've truly felt the difference in comfort since having this overall setup. So I definitely recommend first firsthand. I'm a big, big fan of 51 speed shop bars. And of course the Quintaneroo tri bikes, so if you want some more insight on these brands, of course, search the names on social media, give them a follow or JP at Brown Sports in Toronto actually sells and fits 51 speed shop products and Quintana tri bikes all the time. So I can 100% refer you to their shop with confidence, knowing they'll take care of you and setting you up for success by identifying, of course, which bike and which extensions will work best for you. Now, the beauty of this for all my international listeners out there who aren't in Toronto is you can check them out on brownsports.com. And just so you know, that's spelled B-R-O-W-N-S, sports, so two S's. And of course, my Instagram always has an open door DM policy, so definitely don't be afraid to reach out if you have any questions on 51 Speed Shop or Quintaneroo tri-bikes. Okay, now guys, let's get into the conversation Enjoy the podcast. So Bella, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing so good today, Stephen. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. It was a, a long day. I had my daughter at home with me, but uh, we made the best of it. And well, I guess here it's, it's nighttime, but uh, in Australia, it's your afternoon, right?
0: It is 11 a.m. So we finished all my morning workouts and a couple hours of work, and now I'm having a little break to talk to you.
1: Nice. Love it. Awesome. Well, first off, thanks so much for spending your afternoon with us here. Uh, now, I mean, I can imagine you've been quite busy, you know, all your training and your build up to Roth. And actually, you know, come to think of that too, it looks like you're already well on your way to your Roth preparation. I just noticed on one of your Instagram posts that you uh, have a race this upcoming weekend, right?
0: Yeah. So I've been a little rusty on the racing front because last year, at the end of the year in November in 2019, we were going to do the Laguna Phuket Triathlon, which is just a really fun event over in Thailand. And I was super stoked to have that be my final race of the year. And I ended up getting this sort of catastrophic flat tire situation that a really, really strong man probably could have fixed. But I literally, I'm I'm good at changing tires, but I could not get this, Tire back over this rim. And so oh, my no. race was over. <laughs> and so originally I was like, oh, this might be my last pro race. And then I'm like, you cannot finish on a DNF. That is just not acceptable. So um, I don't know. Over the holidays, I just sort of got to thinking and I was like, oh, I think I want to give one last big race a shot. Um, so I started thinking about Roth. And then I wanted to fit in a couple races along the way. But it's, we have a super challenging schedule right now. It's awesome. But like we go to a lot of races now and we're running Win Republic pop-up expos. So it's really hard to race and do an expo properly. <laughs> so this year I thought oh, I'm not going to do any races at a race where we're also doing the expo. Cause I tried it last year and the year before, and it was hectic.
1: Yeah. So, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, we tried to find a couple races that would fit in in our build up to Roth, and one of them is called the Tweed Enduro, which is like it's been around for a long time up in um, in New South Wales and Australia. But it's a race that we can drive to and do a little bit of camping with the kids, and it should be a lot of fun. So it's not like a, a high profile race. There's only a small prize purse, but it actually gets a pretty good field over here because there's so many strong athletes. So it should be a good just sort of check of where things are at so far. Um, yeah. And I'm excited.
1: So when you have a big race, say like challenge Roth on the horizon that you're, I would maybe say it's your a race and you're looking to check your fitness level around this time of year for you would this race, it's a 70.3 distance race. And are you going to be tackling that like a 70.3 pace or are you looking to do it in an Ironman pace or like, how does this sort of all mold into the Roth buildup?
0: Yeah, good question. It's it's always hard because I'm like, oh, it's, it's a, sort of a check of the fitness right now, but more just to see what I need to work on. And I know that there's a lot that I need to work on from between now and July 5th, which is when Roth is. So I do want to, I, w- I would never go out to a half Ironman and just try to go Ironman pace. Cause that would be <laughs> so sad. <laughs> um, so no, I will go out and definitely race as hard as I can. Um, but I'm definitely not tapering or anything going into this race. We're just trying to train through it. So I hate the word training race because I think it's sort of a cop out. So by all means, I'm going there and I'm going to go as hard as I can. It just may not be an expression of my full fitness uh, that will be come July. So yeah, I'll do half Ironman pace, whatever that is for me now, and then go from there.
1: Excellent. Yeah, no, I'm always curious to hear that from a professional standpoint, because I know age groupers always use like a typical semi, or maybe one or two buildups in a 70.3 race to get them ready for their full Ironman race. That's, you know, mid to end season. And so I'm okay. always curious on people's different strategies, right? So uh, are they tackling half Ironman and just going full at it? Or are they training specifically for that race? Or is it just to all build up to Ironman, which it sounds like that's what your yours is, or I should say full distance travel anyway, right?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right. But also it is, I think they're really good actual fitness builders if you do them properly. So, I mean, I'm not tapering going into this race, but I do want to take a bit of rest a day or two before because you, the better effort you're able to put in on the race day, the more you're going to get out of it in the weeks following. If I've made myself so tired that I can't really push, then it's really just, yeah, another workout. But if, you're, if I'm able to actually race it, a couple of weeks after the race has happened, I should have a little bit of a bump in fitness from that. So um, I don't want to be super tired, but at the same time, I just don't have enough time right now to really fully rest this week. So it's sort of a, a combo.
1: Yeah. Awesome. No, I love it. That's good. So let's start off at the beginning here and let's take a step back and, and let's talk about uh, your story on basically getting into triathlon, because from what it sounds like your story is quite a bit different from that of many of the other professionals that I've I've chatted with. So is it correct to say that you started in your late twenties?
0: Yeah, so I was—I was definitely never an endurance athlete. Um, in high school, I did some—I did a lot of like field hockey and lacrosse, like East Coast uh, USA sports, and um, and I loved that. I was on varsity; it was great. But I just. I never really did anything outside of that. And once I went to college, I'd say the, my major sports were like beer pong and um, <laughs> things like that. It's like contests to see who could stay up with the latest every night. So yeah. I definitely didn't do any exercise when I was in university. Like I was very sedentary. And then and after that, when I was working in Los Angeles, I started like Going to a couple of fitness classes with friends, but honestly, I thought that I was a superstar if I got to this. There was a kickboxing class I took on Saturdays at like 9 45 in the morning, and I thought I was such a badass if I woke up in time for that 9 45 a.m. <laughs> class. And it was literally the only workout I did every week. So, yeah, um, I was not fit at all, but when I was about 27 in 2006 or 2007, one of my best friends from university was going to run the rock and roll marathon. And she said, Hey, why don't you do it with me? And my long-term boyfriend at the time had just broken up with me and I was devastated and I didn't know what to do with my life. And I thought, Oh, well, that sounds like really ridiculous and stupid, but sure. I'll try to run this marathon with you. And so I didn't know, I'd never run more than say like four or five miles at a time in my life. So I just got in touch with the local track club and they had a, a program leading up to this marathon. And so I just joined the group. And right away when I joined the group, I just loved being around other people who were into fitness. And, you know, at that time I was actually still, I smoked for like 10 years. So I was still smoking. I would like, (laughs) go have a cigarette oh. after my run or whatever. And then, <laughs> you know, over the over the course of those months, I finally realized that that wasn't going to work for me. So I quit smoking, which wasn't hard because I just like finally, <laughs> finally I was like, well, I have something else to replace it. Like I wasn't, you know, I, I had, I wanted to do this marathon. So I thought, well, that's not going to work with that goal. Um, so I started running, but the unfortunate part was, well, it's fortunately I was quite good at running right away. I did a 10K maybe, um, two months into the training, they'd had like a test 10 K. And I, I, I was just, I don't remember if I cracked 40 minutes, if I was like 40 minutes and six seconds, but whatever it was, people were like, Oh, that's pretty good for your first 10 K. And I was like, Oh, okay, sure. And then, so we'd start running seven, eight miles. And I started running more and more probably got up to like 40, 50 miles a week, but did it all too fast. And for somebody from a background that included no athletics, um, I got injured. I got a stress fracture, a femoral neck stress fracture. And it was really bad actually, because I thought that it was like a muscle tear or something. And I tried to run through it and it actually sort of broke all the way through. So my, my intended start to athletics was quickly stopped. And I was on crutches for like five months, literally five months. And during that time I had already started to get this love of running and wasn't able to do that. Eventually, I think I was able to like water run. And then sometimes I would like try to swim a few laps in the pool along with that because I wanted to get that little fitness kick. Um, And so my parents came out to visit me in California. And my dad's like a bit of a recreational cyclist. And he, to be honest, I think they were just like worried about me. They're like, okay, like (laughs) you broke up with your boyfriend, you started running and you (laughs) broke your leg. And like, you know, you're a little bit nuts. And my dad's like, why don't you? Like do something a little bit more moderate, and um, I'll I'll get you a bike because I was getting my master's degree in psychology, and that that was going to be my graduation present. So I said, oh okay. So we went into the bike shop, and I was on crutches, and he bought me this cool Orbea, and I was like, oh this is cool. Maybe I'll start riding it. And so anyway, one thing led to another, <laughs> and once I was off crutches, and could get back on the road and on the bike I just started riding with the local tri club and then I did my next my first triathlon um I think at the beginning of 2008 so it was kind of a random way to get there I was like 28 and just starting triathlon had never ridden a bike before but um my first one was a sprint and I loved it I I don't remember where I placed I think I did well but I don't think I won um and yeah I just sort of Things escalated quickly from there. So, when my dad thought that I would do something more moderate because he was buying me a bike, I think he was definitely wrong.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. You know what? I actually, I love that story, right? Because it's so, it's textbook to what so many age group athletes go out, like they struggle with in the beginning, right? And if I had a nickel for every time I heard, you know, someone just gets into running, gets into it too hard, and then they get injured, and then they fall back on something a little bit like easier on the joints, like swimming or or cycling through rehab. And then it becomes a triathlon passion. I just, I love to hear that story. And then, so now of course you've been doing it for many years now, uh, but you also had given birth to your two daughters, Marlo and win throughout this whole triathlon career, right? So like, can you walk us through what it was like training throughout and actually after pregnancy? Like, uh, what did your training and race season look like during those pregnancies?
0: Yeah. So when I got pregnant with win, it was funny because it was, um, it was definitely not something that we had planned. My boyfriend, now husband, Luke McKenzie, who's also—I'm sure people know him far more than they know me—but he's a, a nine-time Ironman champion, and he got second in Kona um, in 2013. So we had just started dating a few months earlier, and I had he had said, "Look, I was so at that time I was working as a psychologist, a school psychologist in a school, pretty much full time. I think it was four and a half days a week." And, um, I was trying to race professionally and I was doing all right, but I just didn't have the hours to spend on the bike that I really needed to, to, to sort of make the leap into doing well professionally. And he had encouraged me to take a leave of absence. And I was at the point in my career where I could. So I applied for a leave of absence, um, for a year that could be extended to two years to try to race professionally. And then literally like two months after I left my job, we found out I was pregnant. So I was like, oh no, like I just left my job and (laughs) now I can't even raise for the next year. But, um, you know, we were really happy that we were going to have a baby. So I just shifted. And I think at those points in life, it's important to just pivot and figure out, you know, what you're going to do next and how you're going to incorporate those changes into your life, because there's always. There's always a way you can do it. And I knew that I wanted to be a mother and I was really happy that I wasn't going to, you know, wait a super long time to do that because I was so into triathlon at that time. You know, I might have waited 5 or 6 years to have a baby and now I'm so glad that I didn't. But at the same time it was definitely unexpected. So, I trained a bit through pregnancy, but it wasn't anything crazy. It was more like, you know, an hour to 2 hours most days. Some days I didn't train at all. But I always did everything really easy. I'm not really somebody who's, I'm not drawn to intervals or hard stuff, which I think is why I'm good at Ironman, because I'm good at maintaining a slightly slower pace than that one that's going to totally blow you up. So I did a lot of exercise when I had Wynn, um, well, when I was pregnant with Wynn in 2014. Um, but I was, I was really um eager to get back to racing. And I don't think it was because I am i missed the, so much training and all that. It was more because I sort of felt the pressure that, oh my gosh, I quit my job and I need to get sponsors and I need to do this. And it wasn't pressure that anybody else put on me, but I think I put it on myself to return to racing very quickly. So once I had when I had a goal and that was to do Ironman Malaysia, which was before she was four months old. So she was like three months and three weeks old when I was going to race. And I thought, oh yeah, this is a good idea. (laughs) Uh, in hindsight, I didn't do it the same way the second time, but it did help me get back into training. And for me, I was, I've always been naturally much better at running than I am at swimming and biking. And I knew that I needed to build back running very slowly to avoid injury and all that. So I really just spent most of my time training for that Ironman Malaysia in 2014, doing putting in miles on the swim and bike and gaining that fitness back. And I did finish the Ironman and it was very painful. It wasn't something I would do again, but I did all right. And then um, after that, I just kept building up the training. And I'd say for me, everyone's different, but by six months after I had win that was actually like close to the peak of um, my athletic career. I did a a 904 at Ironman Western Australia when she was six months old and I was still breastfeeding and it was a great accomplishment. I loved it. Um, So it did take me about six months to get back to peak form and anything before that though, I just think, you know, people can try it. I'm sure they can do it, but it wasn't something that I would do again.
1: No. So like, how soon after giving birth did you get back into training? Because, yeah, that that was not a lot of time between uh, Ironman Malaysia and, and just giving birth to your first daughter, right?
0: Right. So um, I think I started, you know, doing some super easy bike rides around two or three weeks after I had her just on the trainer, you know, probably 30, 45 minutes um, and some easy swimming a few weeks after too. I think it all depends on not only your pregnancy, but your birth and, All different stuff. And I, everything for me was relatively uncomplicated. Everything healed really well. Um, And yeah, and at that time in my life, once I was able to train again, um, I was either training or spending time with Wynn. I didn't have so many other obligations like businesses and things like that. I mean, I was doing some coaching, but nothing that took up a lot of time. So I was able to balance the training with, with being with Wynne pretty easily. And actually when she was when she was five or six weeks old, we went to, Luke was competing in Roth actually. <laughs> and just before that, we went to France to watch the Tour de France, or maybe it was after, I can't remember, but it was, yeah, it was in June, July of 2014. And so Wynne was only five or six weeks old, but we had this amazing opportunity with um, one of our sponsors at the time, to ride a bunch of stages of the tour fully, fully sagged with like, it was like the full pro VIP sort of thing. And I was like, well, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, so I'm going to ride the (laughs) tour (laughs) Malay. So I was doing these crazy rides, like literally six weeks after I had win. And it was so hard, but again, something that I look back on it and I'm really glad I did it because I, it isn't the kind of thing like you can I'm sure you could pay for the experience but it it would be hard so I'm glad that I was able to do it but darn it's hard to carry a newly postpartum body up some of those biggest mountains (laughs) in the Tour de France but it was awesome yeah
1: no that's so amazing to hear right like so I had a previous chat actually with Michelle Vesterby when uh, when she's doing all of her training throughout her pregnancy with her baby boy, Marcus. So, you know, I mean, hearing her story, hearing your story, like it's just, it's also inspiring to hear a lot of people just struggle out there with just finding motivation to train on a good day, let alone you're dealing with training through pregnancy. So I think that's super special and uh, just awesome to hear, right? So uh, now, I mean, speaking of your two daughters, uh, like I, I love this concept now that uh, of course you created two stunning apparel brands. The Win Republic and Malo Republic, named after your daughters. So, I mean, for those unfamiliar with these brands, can you kind of talk to us about a little bit about each of them?
0: Yeah. So, in um, 2017, right about when we had Marlo, who's our second daughter, um, I was well when I was pregnant with Marlo, Luke had always really wanted to do and a he wanted to make an arrow tri suit that was. Very aerodynamic, but also very comfortable and perfect for triathlon. Because prior to that, um, you know, there's skin suits that would be really great for cycling, and there's some aero tri suits, but nothing that had all the features that we wanted. Because you know, we had worked with some sponsors on making them, and actually in 2013, when Luke was second in Kona, he was one of the very first people to wear a sleeved tri-suit that he helped Saucony actually develop at the time. So right. a couple of the only other people in the race that wore the sleeve tri-suits that year were Heather and Trevor Wortel because they were also sponsored by Saucony. So they got access to this suit. Um, and he did really well. And then after that, I don't, you know, I don't think it was necessarily because of him, but in the couple of years after that, those kinds of suits really exploded mm-hmm. and it was something that he always wanted to do. Um and I knew we wanted to do it, but then one day I was looking through the mail. We were in the U.S. at the time, and I get this, this thing addressed to Aeroo LLC, like A-E-R-O-O-L-L-C. And I was like, "What is this?" So I was like, "Hey Luke, what is this thing for Aeroo?" And he's like, "Oh, I started. I'm starting a company called Aeroo, like because he's Australian.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's awesome.
0: And I want to make an Aero tri suit. And I was like pregnant, so I wasn't training and." And I was like, well, you know, that's that's a good idea, but I think that name is super hokey, and I think we should change it. And <laughs> so basically, I took Luke's big idea and then kind of revamped it into what um, Win Republic is now today. So, you know, we talked about Win Republic and his his Australian heritage and me being from the U.S. and we came up with our little flag which is the California Bear and the Southern Cross stars on our logo. And um it all really made sense. And he was totally on board. Uh, so from there we started trying to develop some of our first products, but we realized that you know in what we were developing we really also wanted to do, yeah, some cycling gear and stuff. So it all sort of just snowballed. And um yeah, so we launched Win Republic in July of 2017 doing cycling and triathlon gear. And then we, um, you know, built that over a year and a half. And it's it's been so much work, but so much fun. And we started making a bit of, I guess you'd call active wear, like leggings and sports bras and running shorts and things like that. And people were really getting into them. However, we'd go to these expos like, at, you know, say Ironman Australia or... Oceanside 70.3 and people would come up and be really interested in the active wear. And a lot of them were people who maybe they had a spouse that was competing or something like that, but they weren't really interested in the cycling stuff or the triathlon stuff. Um, and I eventually realized that, you know, when these people would eventually go and we're, we're an online retailer, we don't do any in-store, any in-store retail at this point. So when people would go online, you know, if if there's a mom out there that just wants to do yoga or wants to hike in our gear or a dad that wants to, you know, take his kids on a walk, but not necessarily do a triathlon or see some dudes in Lycra in the arrow position when they turn on this website, then they're going to be a little bit turned off. So I thought, well, we're having another daughter. (laughs) Why don't we just like... Name another split off the company, and name our second brand after Marlo. And her name is Marlo, M A R L O, but we named the brand Malo because that's how the Australians say Marlo. They're like, oh, "Hey, Malo, nice. how you going, mate?" You know,
1: yeah. <laughs> love that.
0: <laughs> so we launched. Yeah, we launched that in September of 2019, and that has been so much fun. I just I love it. I love seeing people get excited about our gear that are not triathletes for some reason. That's like really exciting to me. <laughs> so, you know, when like there's some, a few girls around here who are like, you know, in their early twenties and they're just active, but they're definitely not into triathlon and cycling, but they think that our stuff is really cool. I get very excited about that. Um, but yeah, that's sort of the story of how the brands got started. And now Luke and I, you know, we run them both and we have a few, we've got three employees now. And, yeah, it's full on, but it's full on great. We actually just bought our first um, warehouse here in Australia. So we're moving out of it. We're still in the downstairs of our house because we have like a little bit of an apartment down there. So we're moving out into a real space in just a couple weeks.
1: Wow. That's huge. That's great to hear. No, yeah. like, I like, I absolutely love that story, right? It, it's actually a really cool concept and it makes a lot of sense because like I was browsing the men's tri-suit collection on Win Republic and they're just some of the nicest and authentic designs that I've seen. And obviously the quality is top notch. And the other thing I was thinking about what you just brought up was the fact that like my wife, she's, she's not into triathlon as much, but she likes athletic wear. So, you know, something like Mallow Republic would be excellent for her. And so you guys do expos, are you going to be planning on doing it at Roth? I know you and Luke will both be racing Roth, but, uh, (laughs) maybe your other employees or something.
0: Yeah, no, it was funny because when, um, when we were talking to Felix from challenge family about both of us doing challenge Roth, he said, you know, part in the, in the contract, he could include an expo space for us. And Luke's like, Oh, and we can do this. And I said, I was like, Uh, no, it's either racing or expo. I've tried. I mean, we did Kona 2018 when we had the expo going and we were both racing. And honestly, like I was fried for a couple months after that. It's just too much. And I think, I think it's fine if you're, if you just want to do okay at the race. Like I did a few last year at like Geelong 70.3, where I would work the expo and then race. And like, I would do fine at the racing, but if you really want to give it like your hundred percent, a race effort, which for me, that's what Roth is. This is my final, like, I'm giving it my best shot. Um, I'm not going to do both, but we are going to do like a cool event the day after the race where we're going to just launch a mini collection and it's sort of just like a little party. So that to me sounds way better than sitting in the, sitting in the sun for a couple of days before the before the race. So we will have gear there. We will be able to sell some stuff and just, you know, meet up with people and have a good time with our community, but we're, we're just not going to do it pre-race.
1: Amazing. No, it makes a lot of sense. I think that's a wise move, right? And you know you have private experience with that in kona <laughs> I know, was so a
0: hard move to make so. yeah
1: no excellent i love it but uh no that's great and so let's chat about challenge Roth here a little bit because i'm excited about that that'll be my first full distance triathlon and uh i guess
0: no way really
1: yeah yeah so the irony of that it's my first and i guess it'll be your last so or for professional i should say
0: oh, oh well tell me about your lead up what made you start <laughs> to what made you decide to do it
1: well, yeah, funny thing, right? I've just been kind of working my way through slowly but surely, just getting through the 70.3s, uh, these sprints and Olympics. And I actually just were less than a month away now from having our second child. Uh, so it no. was kind of one of these moments, yeah, where, well, I mean, actually the timing is less than optimal because I'll have a three-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old <laughs> going right. down to Germany. Yeah, so uh, my timing could have been a little bit better, but it was something I just wanted to get done off the bucket list. And, you know, Challenge Roth can speak for itself in in the reputation. Right. So, uh, I want to mm-hmm. have a race that I could really look forward to and spend a time in a great country like Germany. So that, that was why I chose challenge Roth. And now now I'm excited about that. So it's, uh, that's coming up really fast and, you know, jumping from 70.3 to full distance as any listeners can probably imagine. And, and what they've went through, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely nerve wracking at times, exciting at other times. So it, uh, it's always nice to hear stories like yours and people with experience like you, Uh, Who are going through similar situations. So, love to hear that.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, the first one is just so much fun because no matter what, if you finish, it's going to be a PR for you. So, you just have to enjoy the day. And it's all about just problem solving on the day, expecting that, you know, maybe a few things are going to go wrong, but checking them off just like swim, bike, run, and just getting on with it and having that ability to make decisions and problem solve along the way kind of makes it more rewarding when you finally do get to the end and you know whether or not you end up running the whole marathon or walking some aid stations or whatever it is it's still just it's unbelievable the first one is so good
1: well that's just it and so a lot of people have actually asked me that like strategies of of race tactics and that sort of thing and honestly to be honest i couldn't couldn't tell you right like you you kind of have a pace where you think you could do but Yeah. You never know. Like we'll come down to walking on on the marathon. Who knows? Right. And there's, there's no pressure at the end of it. That's the big thing. It's because it's been such a buildup. And, uh, I think a lot of listeners can probably attest to this too, that at the end of the day, the last thing you want to do is really stress yourself out in your first ever long distance triathlon to, you know, set a high standard for yourself. So I think if you implement that, you want to do the best you can through training, leading up to the race. And then whatever happens to race day happens. So uh, that's mentality going into it because at the end of the day, I still want to have a nice vacation outwards with the family too. Right. So yeah, (laughs) it works.
0: Exactly. And surely this won't happen to you, but in my very first Ironman, it was 2010 in St. George, Utah, which is now like back as a championship race, which is so awesome. But So it was in St. George in 2010 and I trained super hard for it. I was age grouper and, um, I did the swim, had a good swim, got about nine or 10 miles into the bike and not only got a flat tire, but it like my whole tire was shredded. So I did have like, you know, tubes to replace, but like the actual tire was shredded because there was like, I think I had skidded out somewhere or something. So I needed a whole new tire. And at that time, like since it was just after the swim, for some reason, a lot of the roving support wasn't around because people were like hypothermic out of the swim or something else was happening. But anyway, I waited on the side of the road for like 45 minutes and there like was no help. So because I had tubes, but no, I didn't carry a whole tire. Um, and most people don't. Uh, so then eventually some a spectator gave me a phone and I I called my husband and I said, Oh, uh, this is what's happened. And he's like, well, just try to get back into town. Um, and he had his bike and he's like, and I can give you the wheel from my bike. And we were only like a few miles from like the town of St. George. So I was like, okay, I can do that. So I got on my bike and rode on the rim. It was like this zip rim too, which I'm sure I ruined. Um, I rode on the rim for like four or five miles into town and got, But oh, no. So I was almost into town. And then I finally got some support who changed a wheel for me, which is good because had I gotten my husband's wheel, I think that's like not allowed. But at the time, I had no idea. I was just doing my first Ironman. So I was like, whatever. I just want to finish it. (laughs) Nobody probably would have complained since I was that far back. But anyway, so the tech support gave me a wheel and I eventually finished. But of course, I was like about an hour and a half or two hours behind where I planned to be. And so I was like, just like, okay, am I going to make the bike cutoff? Like, I didn't even know what the cutoffs were. And I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Then I got on the run and I just thought, oh, well, I'm going to give it, I'm going to pretend like that didn't happen. And I mean, I like run the best I can and I ended up having a great run and I finished the race and I thought, okay, well, hopefully it's all up from there. And it was the best ever. Like it it was just great. So
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, no matter what happens, you'll find a way to keep going.
1: That was back in 2010, if if I heard you correctly there. So Mm -hmm. you've been doing Iron iron Distance for a long, long time now. And now you actually had a few races there that you're super close to that sub nine hour mark, right? Uh, Notably a few of them in 2014, 2015, 2018. And and so I think it's safe to say you're going all in on this one, eh? Trying to hit that uh, sub nine hour mark.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what makes me think that now at 40 years old, I can go faster than I've ever gone before, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think part of it is that I have been so close in a lot of those races and I can look at them and think, Oh, okay. You know, Cairns in 2018, I was, I went 903 and you know, that's a, it's a hard ocean swim. It's a very, very humid course. There's the roads aren't great. You know, there's a lot of things where I'm like, oh, surely if I pick like a faster course, maybe it's, you know, I haven't really done any um, notably fast uh, full distance races before, like any of them that usually produce the fastest times um, because I, you know, I've always historically performed better on hard courses so I'd pick hard courses so I never picked one where I like was trying to break a time barrier I was just trying to you know get on the podium or do something like that so I thought oh wouldn't it be cool if you know I was 40 and then I finally broke nine hours and to be honest probably not that cool to anyone besides me but that's what's that's what the um that's what motivates me, like something that I can accomplish for myself, not necessarily, you know, the top three women from Kona are going to be there. So you've yeah. got Lucy Childs and Haug, Sarah Crowley. Um, I mean, it's going to be an insane field. And, you know, they might go 835 or something. And sure, they might be 20 four minutes ahead of me but hopefully i'll get in there at eight fifty nine. you know so we'll see i don't know i don't really know what to expect because last year we i really took a step back and did some half ironman racing but i also broke my arm and i really focused on the businesses so i never i never got fit so i'm like excited for that process again to be you know my fittest and then just to see what happens on the day
1: yeah no for sure and then so actually and you were a spectator Two back at Challenge Roth. One, as you mentioned, your mm-hmm. husband Luke raced uh, actually the same year that Felix, the race director, did his race too. So it was a really good year, and uh, both you and Luke will be towing the line this year in the same race. So like this has to be a pretty fantastic feeling, I guess, for both of you to share together, right?
0: Yeah, we're really excited. I mean, he, for all intents and purposes, planned for last year to be the end of his racing. And even when I started talking about, oh, I think I might want to do Roth. He was like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. And then he's like, well, maybe I'll do it. I'm like, well, only do it if you really want to. And I think he just kind of watched me for a few weeks getting back into it and thought, yeah, no, I really, really want to do this again and do it <sighs> properly and give it a give it a good crack. And part of what we both realized last year was kind of disappointing racing for both of us because we never, we never really committed to anything. We like halfway committed to everything. So we were, you know, doing some half Ironmans, but also tons of expos and a little bit of training here and there and being with the kids and just juggling a lot of things, but not really focusing on one thing. So we've sort of mapped out our schedule this year where the two months leading into Roth, you know, we are going to be working still, obviously, and parenting is always our number one, but um, we've factored in a lot more time for training so we're actually doing a training camp for a month over in Spain hopefully pending uh you know coronavirus <laughs> yeah disaster is not taking over the world oh so true um but we're we're doing a training camp over in Girona with with we're bringing the kids but Luke's parents are also coming along and they love hanging out with the girls so they're able to watch them so we can do you know as much training as we really need to do which um, should set us up really well. And yeah, so we're really committed to this one. And I think that's motivating to both of us to not just be on the start line, knowing you've only done 75% of the work we're going to be on the start line, knowing we've done 98% of the work and hopefully maybe even a hundred.
1: Exactly. No. Awesome. So, I mean, taking, I guess your build up to Roth, it's a, a sort of an example to work off of here for age groupers listening in and, and people like myself, actually, who will be racing Challenge Roth this summer, we're just about four months out. Like, what should the four months out training be looking like? I, I know it might be a little bit different for an age trooper from for the professionals, but are you getting into more longer-specific training or are you still just incorporating those short and harder days? Or kind of what's your overall thought on uh, where your training should be at this far out?
0: Yeah, well, the way that I've always performed best in Ironmans. And I think is really a really good way to have longevity in the sport is to look at, um, the true Ironman important weeks of the build as 10 to 12 weeks out. And so that's when I need to be really, really focused in not only hitting the volume, but also the specific workouts like time trials and longer hilly runs and long run days, double run days, about ten to twelve weeks out I'm gonna be making sure I'm hitting things like those every week. But before that, so for then still the next five, six weeks and then the six to eight weeks before that, what I've been doing is I've been doing the training to do the training to do the training. So the workouts that I want to be doing ten weeks out are ones that are so hard. I mean sometimes they're just long and hard and they take a lot of mental effort and physical performance that you need to actually train your body to get in a position where you can do those workouts. So for me, one key workout that I want to hit four or five times in, you know, the eight weeks leading up to a race is two by one hour time trials within a four to five hour ride. And I know if I can do that at my Ironman goal Watts, then yeah, I'm going to be ready for Ironman. But you have to get your, yourself and your body to a point where you can do the two by one hour TTs. So for me at this point, it's, you know, looking like one 45 minute TT and then two by 30 minute TTs and then maybe two by 40 minute TTs and just building up to that. But um, knowing that all the training I'm doing right now is just so that I can do the training I need to do to perform my best in the Ironman, if that makes sense. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it actually does. It makes a lot of sense. Right. And there's always a lot of uncertainty because I mean, everyone has their own, you know, ways of training up for an, into a build for an Ironman and for an iron distance like this. But, uh, no, I think that's a a pretty straightforward and and it makes a lot of sense. Right. And now I guess a good common question. I'd love to ask this and especially for age groupers, just getting into the long course triathlon, like when it comes to nutrition on the bike and the run and you know, the special needs bags, uh, can you explain how that all works? Because, you know, athletes coming from the 70.3 racing will just be recognizing simply the 70.3 format where you know, there may not be those specialty bags. It's just you have all your stuff at your transition spot and away you go. So kind of how does that all work in long course?
0: Yeah, good question. And like, uh, you started talking about nutrition and all of a sudden I panicked because I was like, Oh my gosh, I haven't even thought about this yet this year. <laughs> you know, but. Um, It's kind of like riding a bike when you can just go, if you know what works for you, you can go back to that time and time again, usually. So for age group athletes, I'd really encourage them to figure out what works for them in training and in shorter races as far as fueling and how much fuel you can take on. Um, One of the reasons I think that I've been so successful in running marathons off of the bike is that I have been really successful at eating a lot on the bike. (laughs) So during everybody's different. So some people will take in far less. Some people might take in a little bit more, but during an Ironman bike ride, I take in about 2000 calories, which for me is like close to 400 calories an hour, which I only weigh 110 pounds. So people might think that's crazy, but (laughs) I know that that's what I need to take in, in order to fuel my run the best that I can. So that's what I do. But Most people, I think, are more around 250 to 300 calories an hour. um, And you need to figure out what kind of fuel you're going to get that from. One of the things that, you know, I made a lot of mistakes in the early days was I would train and I'd, you know, eat a lot of food on the bike. I'd have maybe some Gatorade or something, but then I'd also have like bars, like power, power bars. Are those even still around by the way? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a good question. Do they make
0: about- power bars anymore?
1: I don't know that I, I eat, know. but I'm sure they do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Power bars are really big, but like power bars or cliff bars, um, things like that. I was sponsored by Bonk breaker for a while. So I would eat like these bars in training. And then I put that into my nutrition plan for race day. However, if you go to a hot race, try it, it, stick a cliff bar in your mouth and swallow it. It's like impossible. And it took me a while to figure out, oh, I can't actually eat very many solid calories on the bike in a hot race. I need more gels or, you know, cliff block type of things. So you got to think about actually the consistency of the food. I know that sounds crazy, but yeah, you got to think about the consistency of the food and what you're going to be eating based on your race day conditions. If it's like a colder race, you might be able to handle more solid food, but just thinking about that is important. Um, but you mentioned special needs bags. So special needs bags are these bags that you can put stuff in, um, on the bike or on the run that you get about halfway through a full distance race. So on a bike, usually it's around 90 K or like 50 to 55 miles where you can get this bag that has just whatever you think you might need, whether or not um, it's some more bottles. If you don't like the on course drinks, you know, if you want, want to prepare your own bottles or some snacks, like I've had a Snickers bar in there before, again, in a hot race, I had a Snickers bar in there that <laughs> melted. So bad idea. Um, you know, <laughs> there, you can really put anything in there. Some people put like sunscreen or band-aids or whatever you think you need. Um, I actually try not to use special needs on the bike. Cause it's, It slows me down a little bit because often you have to sort of slow down to open up the bags and find your stuff. Um, So I try not to use it on the bike if I can, but on the run, I often have stuff in there Um, just, you know, in case of emergency stuff. I've had Band-Aids in there before, an extra pair of socks, but um, different flavors of gels because what happens during an Ironman, especially on the run, is you reach a point where you're like okay, I don't want any more of that. But you don't know what that is going to be, whether or not it's the Gatorade or gels or bars or whatever it is, you're going to not want something and you're going to have a craving for something super random. So a lot of times I have something salty in my special needs bag on the run. Like in Kona, I've had Fritos, which are amazing. Right. And so like, there's pictures of me just like stuffing my face <laughs> with Fritos at Mile 18 of the run. Um, but just to sort of change up that flavor palette, it can be really important. So give yourself some options in there because you might not know um what you're gonna need.
1: Excellent. Yeah, so actually I love that. And that's a really hot topic that a lot of people have questions on. And you know, big thing that always comes up is dietary restrictions where a lot of people might just want to use their own nutritional supplements, right? So that's where those special needs bags come in handy. And you actually brought up a really good point there. It's that fine line of are you going to stop and take the time to get those those special bags and, and get all your stuff and kind of get ready for the next 90K on the bike or the the, the second half marathon? So oh.
0: Honestly, if you're not – yeah, if you're out there and you're participating and wanting to finish the race and even have a really good day, I definitely re- recommend stopping for special needs on the bike. Like you definitely should. Um, I think it's just when some of the pros are just really on that fine line of, okay, if I take this bag, I'm going to get – dropped from this, you know, group of three women I've been riding with for the last 45k. And that's probably not worth it. Um, so it's just weighing out, you know, costs and benefits, but I definitely recommend them. It's a great idea to have. So so don't skip it on your first one, Stephen.
1: <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's either that or, you know, just loading up on tons of aero hydration between the bars and bottle cages left, right and center. So yeah, no, I think I'll opt in for that. <laughs> uh, I'll opt in for the special needs bag for sure. So that's great. So now this is a pretty good question, I guess, seeing as both you and your family have had some experience in racing Roth as well as spectating at Roth, do you have any tips for listeners on Challenge Roth in general, whether it's, you know, race tips that Luke might have told you, or even uh, tips for athletes, families that, that are going there to watch them and supporting them, like best spots to watch the race or things like that?
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, from what I remember, well, first of all, it's just the most, insane atmosphere more spectators than you'll find in Kona just everybody in the town gets super pumped and super jazzed for the race so even for your family Stephen like they're gonna start feeling the vibe just from being around which is really cool and everybody really loves it uh there's not a lot of accommodation in Roth so a lot of people ended up end up staying in the town really close by called Nuremberg which is Great too, because apparently my friend Belinda Granger, who's um she's the pro liaison for Challenge Family and she works, she's won Roth many times. She's been there probably a hundred times. I have no idea. But she always recommends that families stay in Nuremberg because there's a lot more for the families to do there. Um, there's more to see. Uh Roth is great, but it's like a really little town, so you might run out of things to do. So even if you're staying in Roth, definitely go visit Nuremberg. Um and yeah, I'm trying to think about the course. Like from I did do a loop of the course, even though as I said I was probably seven weeks postpartum at that point. And I remember it feeling really hard and the hills feeling really big, but I think that was just my current state of uh fitness, not necessarily reality so but the cool thing is that there's like amazing road surfaces and it is pretty rolly and hilly but it's a what you'd call like a momentum course so you can build up a lot of momentum going up and down hills and cresting and so you don't want to lose that momentum so try not to coast a lot really just um, keep pressure on the pedals on the downhills because that'll help you you know go with more speed into the next uphill and um, I know that there's quite a bit of lap traffic you know on your second lap of the bike so just you know being aware of everybody else but also using that as motivation for leapfrogging ahead of people but also just being out there with the community and everybody there is so excited and so happy to be there that it's contagious you can't be miserable in that race. So, well, I don't know, maybe I will be, <laughs> knock <laughs> on <in> wood, <laughs> but it, it seems like the kind of race where like the energy, the energy is really contagious. So I'm just excited to be able to take that in and the run, is just, there's spectators everywhere. Um, and there is a one long portion along a canal that's a bit quieter, which I think is actually probably welcome by that point. Cause you've had people cheering, cheering around forever. So it's, I think it's a good mix.
1: Awesome. No, I, I love that. And, you know, one big thing I've, I've listened to a lot of pro athletes talk about is visualization and just getting, you know, getting in that mindset of being at that race. And so uh, just a little tip, I guess for our listeners too, that I've been incorporating into my training and I found it's been really helpful to kind of calm some nerves around challenge. Roth is just, you know, watching the recap of, of the previous races, they have it on YouTube. It's available on challenge. Roth's uh, YouTube channel. And it's just, it's awesome to see the swim start because I feel like that would be the most nerve wracking part is just getting into that, that start line. Right. And, uh, Getting yourself prepared for it. So, I mean, I won't be breaking yeah. any sub nine hour, sub <laughs> nine hour goals here. But you never uh, know. Yeah, you never know. What's
0: your, what's your, what's your strength? Swim, bike, or run?
1: Honestly, I, I would say the run. I, I would say the run if you were to do them all separately. But I've, uh, I've really had to improve on my bike fitness because I find I have nothing left on the runs a lot more than uh, I'd like to. Right. So, if you put yeah. them all side by side, I'd definitely say run. But Actually, I'd, I'd like to say one of my weakest points, and this is why it'd be a great question to hear about you, because uh, my weakest by far is swimming, like I just got into triathlon having no swim background. And I know a lot of athletes are like that as well. So you actually started triathlon without an actual like competitive swim background, right? And of course, you managed to get yourself to that professional level. So do you have any advice you can give <laughs> to listeners that you know might find swimming their weakest discipline, like me, for an example? <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, like you, Stephen, I am those three, three dirty words, adult onset swimmer. And it is <laughs> so humbling in triathlon to always have to, um, you know, work a bit harder in that area, but it is, I don't know. It's a tough thing. I've always really like you struggled in the swim. I'm as far as the professional field goes, I'm definitely a below average swimmer. And then at my very best, I'm like, average-ish you know so my goal is to be that average-ish and break an hour in the swim Um, this this coming time in Challenge Roth I've done that before a few times but it's definitely not a given on my plate I know that I have to personally swim like about 25 kilometers a week week in week out for four or five months to make that happen so I'm committing to that right now but I think you know in the swim, as somebody who's always struggled with the swim, it's not a matter of necessarily swimming that much, but just making sure you're at you get your swim fitness to a point where the swim is not taking a lot out of you. Because Ironman or you know an Iron Distance is such a long day that what you want to do is you want to get onto your bike feeling fresh, and whether or not that means a, in the age group field, like swimming one or two minutes slower but being comfortable you're going to get that one or 2 minutes back tenfold throughout the rest of the day. So the swim is all about being long, strong and calm, just stroke by stroke, buoy to buoy and getting through it. The great thing about Challenge Roth is that it's a um I'm really excited about it. It's like a canal swim. So it's really easy to sight. <laughs> and I'm notorious for not being great at siding <laughs> when I'm in the open water, I tend to get, you know, it's, it, you look, it's crazy. Cause you can look at a, a swim course from the shore and it's so easily laid out. It doesn't look that choppy. Everything looks smooth. And you're like, Oh, this is so easy. And then you get in the water and you can get disoriented. There's people all around you going different directions. Which way's the buoy? Where's the sun coming from? And you feel like you're in a whole alternate universe. So having a swim course like Challenge Roth, where it's pretty straightforward, you can probably see the edge of the river the entire time. is going to be huge for people like us to just have that little bit of comfort and be able to focus on the swimming rather than siding every two seconds and panicking that you might be going the wrong direction, yeah. which is what I'm always doing. <laughs> so um, I'm really excited about, about that swim personally at challenge Roth. And I think it'll be a good one for everyone. It's notoriously quite a fast swim, which is great. Uh, last year though, they did have the pros only as non wetsuit. So mm-hmm. I, I love a non wetsuit swim. Like I actually enjoy them. However, you know, data says they're two to three minutes slower. So for me, I'm trying to break nine hours. So for once in my life, I'm like, I do care about the swim time. I'll be yeah. very happy <laughs> if it's a wetsuit. Swim. But if it's not, I'm just going to have to go three minutes quicker in another leg.
1: That's right. Well, hey, fingers crossed the the weather tames itself around July, so <laughs> so you guys can all wear wetsuits, cause... so
0: it's not too hot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, perfect. That's all right. You take what you're given on race day. That's another thing you just learn over the years. I'll just I'll take what's given and see how it goes.
1: Beautiful, awesome. That's some solid advice there. And now, as we wrap it up here, just one of the questions uh, I'd like to just ask here, You know, after Challenge Roth, you mentioned that would be your f- one of your last full distance triathlons. Now, have you thought about like plans, like what we expect afterwards? Like what's the the goal or focus? Is it just more family time and more business time or are you going to throw in some recreational uh, racing or what? Have you thought much about that?
0: Yeah. You know, I have thought about it. And at this point I'd say that that will be my last triathlon race for, for a while. Definitely. Like probably definitely my last pro race. And I don't plan on racing age group for at least another couple of years. I really want to focus on spending more time with the kids and our businesses. And I mean, I'm absolutely going to be staying fit and I'll probably do some like single sport races, you know, some half marathons, maybe even a full marathon, um, just some other things. But um, I really realized last year, as I told you, when I broke my arm and just was focused on too many things that doing on like half-assed is not really for me. It's not my thing at all. Um, I need to be fully into it, but fully into it takes everything. So I'm only willing to give that until July again yeah. this year. <laughs> so yeah, just some, we're going to have a little holiday with our family and we'll go back to the USA and my sister's getting married and um, yeah, but we'll still be, you know, Luke and I are really involved in the endurance community in general. Like, all my friends are lifelong athletes. I expect I'll still be going to master swim once or twice a week, just to see all my friends and I'll be running every day and cycling. And, um, you know, we'll be in Kona because that's where our, our win Republic pop-up is going to be. And our whole team win, which is our age group, age group ambassador team. Lots of them are going to be there. And then we'll be in Taupo for the 70.3 world champs. So, we're definitely not going to be gone from the triathlon scene. (laughs) We're just going to be gone from the start lines.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. I think that's solid. It's a lot to look forward to and and that should be exciting times, right? A a new chapter. So uh, it's it's awesome to close this chapter with a great race, like challenge raw. So that's incredible. And, you know what? I think that's a perfect spot to sort of wrap this up. Now, just, I guess, before we kind of finish it off here, uh, you just let the listeners know uh, first where they can follow you throughout social media on your journey here throughout 2020. And also, I guess, where they can go check out the, the websites for uh, the Win and Mallow stores.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you'd be super disappointed because I don't post there very much, but I'm super active on Instagram. So please follow me at Beth g mckenzie and um our brands are win republic which is also super active on instagram at win republic and we have lots of contests and giveaways and it's actually it's a great little community there too and at malo republic m-a-l-o republic and then the websites where if you want to go Buy some gear you can are um, winrepublic, W-Y-N-R-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com and winrepublic.com.au and then malorepublic.com and malorepublic.com.au. And there's a 15% off discount if you just sign up for our mailing list where we, the only thing we do with our mailing list is pretty much send out things about sales or like newsletters about um, different triathlon tips and things like that.
1: Beautiful. That's awesome. No, I mean, first off, thanks so much for all that. Uh, you know, love, love the brands, love the the apparel you guys create, and obviously everything you both you and Luke have done in triathlon has just been incredible. So, pleasure's been all mine here chatting with you today, and of course, wishing you nothing but the best for your race season here, and uh, hopefully, I see you down at Roth.
0: Yeah, thanks, Stephen. I'm excited. I didn't really realize that we we're gonna get to meet you, so that's pretty. Pretty exciting. We'll have to meet up at Challenge Roth and say hello. There
1: you go. Perfect. Looking forward to it. All the best. Good luck. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap with Beth McKenzie. So thanks so much for listening, everyone. And if you enjoyed this episode, among others, and please just take a minute to open your Apple Podcast app on your iPhone, search Pacing Racing, and click subscribe, and then scroll down to the bottom and just leave us a quick written review. It takes less than a minute to do, but it goes a long way in helping me out. So to all who do that, thanks so much. That's highly appreciated. And other than that, happy training, everyone. And if you want to train with me on Zwift, then feel free to drop me a follow by searching Stephen Langenhausen. Anyway guys that's a wrap take care chat soon and cheers